All right, welcome to episode four of the Fighter Pilot Professor. I'm your host, Meta. Glad you're here. And today we're going to talk about why the Japanese attacked the United States at Pearl Harbor and also a little bit about how to deal with failure on your way to success. I hope you enjoy. All right, so jumping right in. Uh, yesterday was Pearl Harbor Day, which prompted a couple of people to ask me, why did the Japanese attack the United States when they did? It doesn't seem to make any sense. And you're right, it doesn't seem to make any sense. But from the Japanese perspective, um, it was a calculated strategic gamble uh, on their part. And it, it has a, some background that I think is important to know. So the background to the Japanese attack is directly related to the Japanese imperial experience. And that is to say that in the early 1900s, in the you know, two or in the decades leading up to um, the outbreak of World War II, the Japanese rapidly industrialized their society. So from the beginning in the 1800s, when uh, the rest of uh, the, or the, when the Western world primarily was industrializing, the United States included, uh, the Japanese saw pretty quickly that they needed to follow suit. And they did. They, they very rapidly industrialized their society. If you've seen the Tom Cruise movie, The Last Samurai, you see some of the early internal conflict that this rapid industrialization creates. But anyway... So what this leads to, though, is a major problem from Japan, and that is that the Japanese home islands do not have a lot of natural resources, which means that they need to go abroad to get those resources. And as, were, as was trending in that day, the way that powerful industrial nations went abroad was imperialistically, and they went and they colonially occupied certain nations, and then they took their natural resources. So the British, French, and other European nations, for example, do this in Africa and South Asia. The United States occupies the Philippines and Hawaii, um, etc. Right, And the Japanese see themselves as on par with these Western industrial nations, and so they follow suit. And they seek to create what they euphemistically call the Far East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere, which is hard to say, which is why I say it's slow. I'm sure it's better to say in Japanese. But what this essentially means is Japan is desired to establish themselves as the regional imperial power in East Asia. And that's what they set out to do in order to get these resources. So it begins with the invasion and occupation of Korea for the Japanese, and then eventually they expand into Manchuria, and then beyond that into the bulk of China. And this imperial invasion and occupation of uh, China in the 30s leads the United States to uh, enact a oil embargo against the Japanese. And that's a big problem for the Japanese because the United States is one of the largest suppliers of oil to Japan. And so this starts to build tension between the Japanese and the United States. From the Japanese perspective, uh, they look out in the Pacific and they see uh, the South China Sea, a place that we've discussed already several times in this podcast, 
as the number one place to go and get natural resources. So things like oil and such can be found in places like the Philippines. They've already occupied China, so they're getting things like iron and coal, etc., rice from the Chinese. But they need rubber and oil, and the place to get that is in the Philippines and Indonesia and the South China Sea writ large. The problem is, is that the United States at that time uh, occupied the Philippines. And so taking the Philippines from the United States would obviously lead to war between the U.S. and Japan. And the Japanese would be vulnerable because there was not a lot of things between the Japanese islands and the west coast of the United States. So in order to be successful in their plan, they make uh, a second plan, which is going to essentially build a defensive perimeter around the Japanese home island by occupying a series of islands that are in the Pacific and then in the process of doing that, they're also going to wipe out the U.S. Pacific Fleet. The number one threat to Japanese expansion in the Pacific is the U.S. Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor. So off they go to do this, right? So they attack Pearl Harbor and then in very rapid succession, they attack the Philippines and Wake Island and into Indonesia and down towards New Guinea and all of these other islands in the middle of the Pacific in order to build their both their industrial supply bases uh, of natural resources and a defensive perimeter between themselves and the United States. The problem was is that when they attacked Pearl Harbor, they only mostly succeeded. And the three main things that they did not do was first, they did not successfully destroy the U.S. ship repair facilities and dry docks at Pearl Harbor. The second thing was they did not successfully destroy all the oil and fuel supplies at Pearl Harbor. And then finally, they did not destroy the Jap the American carrier fleet because it was not at Pearl Harbor at the time. And so after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor and then invade all these other places, obviously the United States enters into war with Japan and that enables the United States to quickly rebuild the aircraft or excuse me, the ships destroyed during the Pearl Harbor attack. Uh, thanks to the dry dock and repair facilities that they have it. Now they have fuel to supply those ships. And then they use the carrier fleet as sort of this roving motorcycle gang to attack Japanese uh, military forces uh, in the Pacific. So the first place this, this happens is with the Doolittle raid. So they launch the U S launches bomber aircraft from a, uh, aircraft carrier to attack uh, Tokyo and mainland Japan. And then the United States sends the carrier fleet down into the South Pacific. And there's a large carrier battle between the Japanese and the United States at the Coral Sea. This is, in fact, the first carrier only battle where neither of the fleets see each other, only their aircraft attack each other. And then in Mid-1942, of course, is one of the biggest, most pivotal battles of the Pacific, which is the Battle of Midway, where the Japanese and U.S. carrier fleets basically duke it out over one of these Pacific islands, the island of Midway, and the U.S. walks away victorious from that battle. And this then turns the tide in the Pacific. So why did the Japanese attack the United States at Pearl Harbor? Well, the short answer is they wanted to get the United States out of the war long enough that they could seal off their supply of resources to then power their war economy 
and eventually be victorious. Unfortunately, they failed to do so. So there you go. Now you know why the Japanese did what they did on Pearl Harbor Day. So it may come as a shock to you to know that I have failed at many things in my life. I know, surprising, but it is true. And uh, But I will say that those failures were critical to my future success. And, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, throughout my career as a fighter pilot, I obviously went through a lot of training to become a fighter pilot. And along the way through my training, I failed on multiple occasions. I failed flights, I failed tests, I failed simulators, I failed a lot of things, right? And, and because I failed those things, though, it ultimately made me successful in being a, the fighter pilot that I became in my career. And what, and what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is often when we are successful in life, we don't look back and examine why we were successful. We just take it as the rite of passage that we went to do this thing. And then we were successful at doing that thing. And wabam, we were, what do you know? And I am awesome. And so therefore I was successful. However, when we fail, we tend to take the opposite approach of like, man, why did I fail? And we go back and we examine why we failed very carefully. And we pick apart all of the decisions that we made along the way to understand why we failed. And then the next time when we come back and engage in that failure, in that event, you know, be it a flight in my case or something like that, then we are better prepared to engage in that thing, right? But ultimately what failing this process of failing and then retrying and failing and retrying again does is it builds this level of resiliency in you that allows you to overcome small failures in order to ultimately su succeed because anything that is worth doing and worth doing well is difficult. And so that difficulty means that I have to be able to persevere through hardship and and through failure, frankly, and I have to be able to see the long-term goal in order to be successful and overcome the short-term obstacles that are between me and my long-term goal. And so those little failures along the way make me resilient enough to be able to ultimately succeed in the, in the path that I'm traveling. What happens a lot of times uh, that I've experienced is, is people in my business, um, people that are, are pilots, fighter pilots especially, are super driven, successful people. And in a lot of cases, they get to where they are in life without ever actually having failed at very many things because they are so capable. They are such capable people. So they go through high school and they make straight A's and they go to college and they make straight A's and they finish at the top of their class and they go to pilot training and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they finish at the top of their class. And then at some point in their life, they have a failure a small one and it just derails the whole show after that. And that's unfortunate um, because, 
you know, these are super hyper successful people. And this one little failure prevents them from ultimately achieving their goal. So what I'd say to you is along the way in your journey of whatever it is that you're going to do, you're going to encounter some failures and, and that's okay. I've heard, for example, Jocko Willenick, a famous uh, Navy SEAL who's you know written a lot of books and has got podcasts like me, et cetera. And he says, you know, like, hey, the, I respond with good when things are bad. And it, it's the same idea that like, hey, when something is hard, it it's it's ultimately, hopefully for my good, because I'm building the ability to succeed in the future. So for those of you that are struggling right now, I hope that you understand that these struggles are not the end, but they're building you towards your future. So I'd encourage you to just keep your eyes on your goals and work through those failures in order to build yourself uh, towards it. Right. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed it and uh, keep shooting me your questions. All right. So that's all for episode four. Glad you tuned in. Keep shooting me your questions. Let me know what you want to talk about and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Have a good one.